passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome to a special bonus edition of the State of Recruiting, your weekly Orange 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach. I'm joined, as always, by Hudson Standish. And uh, this one, we wanted to get you to this week. Uh, we were kicking around some ideas, and this comes from the brain of my man to the left over there. Um, he called for the ball. Uh, we've cleared out the lane, so I'm going to toss it over to him uh, and let him run point on this entire episode. But before we do that, Hudson, how's it going? Doing good, Mike. And I'm sure a lot of our fans are also just because partially because I'm new and, you know, partially because you're the main attraction. You're the Luka Doncic of this podcast. They're like, oh, God, Tim Hardaway's calling for the ball. Uh, not so sure about this one, but I think it'll be fun. I, it's getting to that time as we record right now. It's 94 days until kickoff. So it's getting to that time. I'm, you know, juices are flowing. It's uh, we're getting a little closer to football season in the state of Texas. We're getting football excited. Um, we've got uh, camps starting up. We've got seven on seven coming. We've got all sorts of things this summer to keep us occupied. And then before we know it, we'll be coaching school and then right into the season. So, uh, you know, should be a lot of fun. So without further ado, tell us tell us what's on your mind. Yeah, so we're going to go through the summer enrollees, freshmen only, um, and along with the guys that have already been on campus, you and I kind of behind the scenes put a list together, factored in some other, uh, you know, the 247 composite, some other stuff, and kind of are going to go down um, a little bit of an order, and we're going to go over their freshman expectations, how they fit on the roster, what's their potential timeline to contribute, and then along with their career expectations, almost setting the rubric for them, during their time at Texas and even college, because another thing too, Mike, before we get started, when we're talking about these players, we're talking more about their college career. Yes. What matters it, uh, the most is how they succeed at Texas, but say that a player, you know, portals after 18 months at Texas, but ends up at a mountain West school and is a second or third round draft pick. Well, what we say is going to, I guess, kind of fit in that as well. Like, we want to make sure that we're projecting not only for Texas success, but success in college football in general. Because, as you know, one of the kind of unfortunate realities is that 
probably a good chunk of these kids are not going to finish their career on the 40 acres. But I'm excited to kind of break them down with you. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get started. So first off on the list, we've got somebody that you covered, I want to say, from the start of their career to the finish in Arlington Martin linebacker Travell Johnson. Obviously didn't get to play much his senior year due to injury, if at all. Um, but, Mike, overall, quick thoughts on Travell Johnson, and then let's get into the expectations. Yeah, Travell, so he he did miss most of his senior year. Uh, he uh, he had, a like, a I think it was a labrum. Did he get one game in or just scrimmages? So I remember going out there last summer and being like, okay, so you have a labrum tear, so obviously you're going to be out for the year. And he's like, no, I'm going to try to give it a go and see how it goes. And I think he played like one or two games before they just said, okay, let's get the surgery on this. And so, um, you know, a really tough kid. I talk about this a lot coming from that program. Arlington Martin, if you watch them on the field, they're not always the most talented. That's kind of crazy to say, considering like they produce Miles Garrett. They have JV and Taviano. Maurice Blackwell came from there. Like there's a lot of guys that have come out of Martin, but year over year, not the most talented program on the field, but they're extremely tough and they will turn any game into a dogfight. And um, I think that Travell kind of exemplifies that. He's a smaller player, um, but if you watched him on in high school, he was all over the field, big tackler, uh, played bigger than his size. So I guess the question for me is really how he will translate the next level. And if this was a Big 12 team moving forward, I would feel a little better about his projection. I think the move to the SEC, I, I'm really interested to see kind of how his size holds up at that level. But I think he's a guy... If he plays as a freshman, which I don't expect him to, but I think he could be a guy that contributes a lot on special teams. Um, you know, I think he fits kind of in that uh, weak side linebacker role, but he could also be like his former teammate, Maurice Blackwell, and be a guy that they say, okay, he hasn't grown the way we want him to, so we're going to play him in that star position or or in the nickel a little more in the secondary Um I think uh, – uh, sorry, Hudson, uh, this is our first time doing this. you want me to just knock out all the categories in, in one deal here? Yeah. As far I mean, as, can, uh, all, honestly, too, we can just collab through them. When I think freshman expectations, what I had down was exactly what you said. Travell needs to make it an absolute priority to get as many positively graded special teams plays as possible. That way, heading into the next couple of years – he has a foundation of production to build on than getting on the actual field when it comes to Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. Yeah. And so I think, you know, can I, do I think he's smart enough to process it? Yes. Do I think he's uh, a good enough football player to get on the field and see spot duty? Yeah. I just, the size does worry me, especially in a league like the sec. So I think maybe overall career expectations, it would depend on if he's able to find a fit playing in that league, or if he decides to transfer and finds a school that's an ideal fit for him there, I think he can be a guy, you know, football isn't as rigid as it used to be. You don't, you know, the yeah. archetype linebackers don't, you don't have to be 6'2, 220 anymore to play linebacker necessarily. You know, depending on your skill set, I just think um, a lot of it's going to depend on his fit wherever he ends up. Absolutely. Let's move on to somebody that we have really grown to kind of love as a prospect. 
and as definitely as a uh, personality as well. And that's Grand Prairie Savion Red. One of the more fun additions to the class when you think about kind of how it all came together towards the end. Obviously, Mike, I know that we were on different message boards at the time, but there still was this collective panic of who is this guy? Why on earth are we taking him? And then as people started to watch the tape, I think it made a little bit more sense of, okay, maybe the reason uh, why he only had three offers or so, the best of which being SMU, wasn't exactly because of his play on the football field. So I don't know if you know this, Hudson, but I'm from a place called Irving, Texas, um, specifically South Irving, Texas. And Grand Prairie is the southern border of South Irving. So I'm very familiar with the Gophers, their program history, and have known about Red for a while. He was kind of a like a youth league legend. And um, I love, you know, you start hearing about these kids in like sixth or seventh grade, like you won't believe what this kid's doing in little league football. And it, look, I'm not ever going to evaluate a sixth grader. Um, we'll never but, have not DM us with sixth grade tape, please. Or seventh grade or eighth grade or non-varsity tape in general. But um, it is fun to kind of like bookmark the name and, and look and come back to it and see how they panned out. You know, like a, another one of those kind of kids is like wild man over at sock, just like a youth league legend who's now turned into like a legitimate recruit. Um, Jaquindon Jackson was, you should have Hudson. You should have heard the hype around Jaquindon Jackson as a youth player. It was uh, insane around these parts, but saving red plays at a program that for most of my life has not been good at all. I mean, Outside of their years with Rhett Bomar at quarterback in the early 2000s that overlapped me when I played high school, um, Red is, or I'm sorry, Grand Prairie has been a, a kind of a perennial bottom dweller. They went to the playoffs this year, and it's not because they suddenly got way better. It's because Savian Red dragged them to the playoffs yeah. by himself. Um, I have a good friend of mine works at South Grand Prairie, uh, which is obviously their rival school, and I asked him about him and said, he goes, you know, if he was on our team, we'd still be playing. And if he was on, if he wasn't on Grand Prairie, they'd be 0-10. So um, I Mike, think. How do you feel about this real quick, by the way, as far as freshman expectations go for Savion Red? Let's just say of the kind of lower ranked group, however you want to make that cutoff, could you hear an argument that he maybe could get the most playing time when it comes to just his positional versatility along with kind of the log jams at other positions for the lower ranked guys. Absolutely. And I think. And he could be another special team or two. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like a lot like Travell Johnson fit is going to be very important because he is, people say, what is he? Well, he's kind of a receiver. He's kind of a running back. He played quarterback a lot in high school. He's an athlete fit they're going to have to figure out how to get him on the field and how to best utilize him. I think he's a guy that could play in the slot. I think he's a guy that um, you could run some wildcat stuff with him. Um, and, and it would be interesting. I think that it's up to the coaches to figure out how to best utilize him. When you look at him, he's not big. He's 5'10", 205, kind of built like a running back. Not a, not an insane tester, but just ability overall. When you watch him in the open field in high school, He's so good at, you know, vision, feeling, feeling, uh, you know, tacklers on one side and being able to cut back. He's, he's really explosive in short area. And I think that kind of translates over to his basketball uh, film. 
So freshman expectations, I would say probably I had a little more before Texas uh, loaded up at receiver in the portal. Um, I think he could be a guy you see in some packages um, or, you know, if there's some injuries or he could be a guy you see on special teams. I don't expect a huge um, contribution from him as a freshman. But as you said, kind of out of the lower end of the class, if there's one guy picked to surprise, I think I would I would say it's red when he was recruited by Texas. It was seen as like, well, we lost Evan Stewart and Shaz Preston and all these guys. And now they're just reaching for this guy. And a lot of times when you do that at the end of a cycle, it's, it's tough to find a lot of value in a guy. I think they found some value here. So again, I think it's just going to be more about his overall, like what they can do with him. I, as far as his fit on the roster, I would like, I would say slot, but I mean, like I said, he's kind of, I would call him a slot back almost like you can put him yeah. in the backfield. You can put him at slot. You can run him in wildcat. He can be on return for you, you know, things like that. He can be a guy that maybe you line up on the end of a pump block team and, um, and send him after the punter. So uh, I think, you know, for him, like Travell Johnson, the career expectations will matter how he's utilized, how creative the coaches can be, you know, if he if he does end up elsewhere again, finding the right fit for him. Um, he's certainly an electric football player when you just look at football playing ability. One last thing on Savion Red before we move on, Mike. We talked about this yesterday. Obviously, I think the fans can probably tell that we're higher on Savion Red, both of us, than kind of the industry average um, recruiting rankings. I think because he was at Grand Prairie and kind of how his recruiting process was handled almost uh, as well, there's a significant chance that Savion Red is a verified better athlete than what the numbers we have on him are. Absolutely. And I think that along with just kind of his off the field demeanor contributes to this massive boom or bust potential that's pretty hard to um, – to factor in. So while we are higher on them, I do think that we should probably mention before going, like, you know, you have a chance with all these kids that in 12 months they're portaled out of here. But, you know, this is one definitely to watch when it comes to just the wild swings that his career could have. I call them almost like a little bit of a pit bull, littler version of little Jordan Humphrey. And I could really see that for his career at Texas where, you know, maybe he is a better athlete than we were thinking, and he does go to the NFL. But if not, I could just see him being a really productive college football player. So let's move on to the next guy on the list, and that is Texarkana's Derek Brown. Um, Mike, I'll let you lead off and try to kind of power through these next couple. Yeah, Derek, I think ex- expectation-wise, I would – I would probably say he he's a redshirt candidate for me, just from a physical development side. And now was recruited as an edge. I think Texas sees him as a guy who could possibly play off the ball, um, and and kind of be like a a version of what Demarvin Overshone is. Uh, but he's going to have to put on some weight. I saw him in the spring, and and he just wasn't developed yet. And uh, a lot of that's going to come from being able to eat three meals a day and you know, work out constantly. We'll see kind of how that separates this summer. I don't expect a lot from Derek freshman year. I think that, you know, once he gets, once he gets, um, you know, physically acclimated to the game, I think that Derek's got a lot of potential. I think he's a a really springy, explosive athlete. Um, He's shown some natural pass rush ability. 
put up similar numbers to what Clayton Smith put up at, at Texas High before the Oklahoma edge. Um, so, I mean, obviously he can get to the passer. I think probably, you know, it's going to depend on what they do at edge and what they've got available to them at edge. But I think he is possibly a guy that uh, can float between that edge position and uh, kind of an off-ball linebacker. Um, probably a, a two-year guy you're looking at before he's really, you know, challenging for significant playing time. Um, and, and again, I think a little bit boomer bust, um, just depending on, you know, kind of how he develops and, uh, and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I think that's really well put, Mike. My only, I hope that Derek stays patient with the process. I don't see him because I, I struggle seeing Derek being able to contribute a ton on kick and punt coverage just because of kind of the way he's built overall speed. Um, but so I hope that he is a little bit patient because I do think that the program could turn him into an extremely good player, but you know, gonna have to put the work in. Um, next up on the list, we've got Larry Turner Good. Mike, you had a really good read on LTG since he was a sophomore, put out some pretty spectacular tape. But I think it's also fair to say that in the two following years, there was a little bit of a downgrade in, you know, what he put out on film. Yeah. I, so Larry went to four high schools in four years, and that's always – it's tough to – flag, yeah. Tough to keep the consistency with that. Also battled a ton of injuries. I recall, you know, I, I I don't get to do it as much anymore, but I watched a lot of tape during COVID. Like when we were all quarantined, every time they offered a kid, I could just be like, well, I got nothing else going on. Why don't I just watch the tape? And I remember them offering Larry Turner good and watching his sophomore film and just being blown away by the type of athlete he was. Um, and so – you know, I think he's put on some bad weight a little bit with the injury. Um, he had a shoulder injury, I believe, last year. Uh, so wasn't really able to lift, wasn't really able to exercise. Showed up early at Texas and, you know, to his credit, went through the, the spring workouts, played in the spring game. Uh, struggled some, I thought, with like, you know, taking angles and things like that. I think at his best, if, if he could kind of recapture what he was as a sophomore, he's a pretty dynamic safety prospect. Uh, a really good, like, uh, you know, he reads the ball really well, great ball skills, uh, willing to come up and hit, all those sorts of things. It's just going to depend on if he can kind of find that form again. I could see him being a guy, because he was in early, who gets some special teams reps, and maybe, you know, if they're blowing out Louisiana Monroe, get some reps in there. I don't, I don't see him challenging for a starting spot in the secondary this year. Um, and, and really, I, I'm really interested to see what his – leap from this spring to next spring looks like physically because i do think that all that stuff that i loved about him is still in there it's just uh on larry to kind of find it again and so um you know i i think uh, you know I, we keep saying it it's a little bit boomer bust um that's kind of the nature of any bottom of a class um when you when, you, when you're talking about it and and i kind of think that's where we are with larry absolutely <clears throat> Also, Mike, something that I think should be noted, and you kind of mentioned it, this is one of the ones where I think just the fact that he was able to get on campus early is massive for his potential chances at Texas. When you come in with the rest of the summer in rollies, it, it's kind of tough to make a mark, and sometimes you can get lost in the wash. The fact that he was able to get that post-injury, um, you know, just one-on-one -on -one coaching and 
all that attention, I think, is just massive for him. Speaking yeah. of massive, uh, Malik Agbo is next up. I think the first of Texas's large group of offensive linemen in this class out of Federal Way, Washington, I believe Todd Beamer High School, which awesome high school name. Um, Mike, is it fair to say that Malik also gets a little bit punished as far as kind of our personal rankings and just overall the class in general, just by the fact that he likely is the last guy when it comes to Texas's, you know, seven person offensive line class. Yeah. I mean, he's in a stacked class. Um, so maybe, you know, in a different class, we, we might view him a little better, but um, I think it's also important to note with guys like Larry Turner and Malik Ogbo, and we'll talk about it with Malik Murphy, we never missed a beat with COVID in Texas. You know, we played yeah, a season. Sure. These guys miss seasons or they miss portions of seasons. And they lived in states where you couldn't, you know, while we were in Texas, were practicing and playing, they could, they were still, you know, in their house. So I think that that's the, I think in 10 years, we'll look back on the COVID era of college football and the guys that came out of those classes and really, you know, get a feel for like how much that, screwed everything up uh with Agbo specifically first want to say elite human being um I mean one of the most pleasant humans I've ever encountered uh is a guy that has the size Kyle Flood loves um Absolutely. I think he's a little top heavy when you look at him um I'm interested to see kind of how he embraces the weight room and Tory Beckton strength program um I think he's a couple years from – he needs to kind of reshape a lot, and he's a couple years from being able to contribute uh, early. And, you know, he's coming in with a stacked class. Now, their, their needs at offensive line may preclude that, and he may have to contribute earlier than he's ready for. Um, I think he's a guy that has a lot of athletic ability. The first time I saw him, um, he was uh, playing seven on seven and playing as a tight end and, and was moving pretty well out there. So I think, you know, again, like Larry, the, the it's in there. Um, it's just kind of, can he unlock it? And I think a lot of that's going to be physical uh, weight room stuff. I think if he can, we've seen a lot that, you know, size on the offensive line could do a lot to carry you a long way. And he's definitely got legitimate size. So, um, I think, you know, all things considered, if he can in the next two years really reshape his body, refine his technique, he could be, a, I mean, I, I, he absolutely could be a draftable prospect because of just, you know, you can't teach size. Absolutely. I think this might be fair for Ogba. Let me know what you think. Freshman expectations, I, it, I just really struggled to see, unless there are massive injuries, how he finds his way on the field. He's a little bit hurt by the fact that he's coming in the summer. Fit on roster. I think two years is a good two years, then let's compete. And then career expectations. If he can be a two-year starter, I think that's a massive win. Yeah, absolutely. Next up, I think one of the more intriguing prospects in the class next up, Zabian Bryce from Arlington Seguin. We got to watch a lot of him because Seguin plays a lot of good competition in district. They have Texas 2023 commit Jamel Johnson and We've just known about Xavier for a while just because of who he's played seven on seven with, kind of the interesting recruitment that he had with Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas being involved. 
Mike, what are your thoughts on Xavier potentially contributing early and just overall what his career could look like at Texas? I think outside of Xavier Red, which is funny because he's very close friends and, and state seven on seven or uh, club seven on seven teammates. Um, this is the guy that like out of this bottom half, I could really see exceeding a lot of expectations. I've loved Xavier Bryce for a while. I wrote a couple years ago. I was sitting in the press box at the small school state uh, during uh, COVID, and I, I had an idea to just write kind of like, hey, here's here's a bunch of names of guys who don't have many offers yet, but they're going to be household names by the end of their their recruitment. And that article actually came out really well. It was, you know, Jay Fair and and Hunter uh, Hunter Herb and guys that were all Americans, and it really picked it up. And Xavier Bryce was high on that list. He was a receiver early on. I really liked him at corner. And – I think his coming out party was last year at the SMU camp. He showed up and and really performed in front of that group. Tested extremely well, um, did extremely well in coverage drills. He's long, he's athletic, he's he's bouncy, he's spring, you know, he's lateral, he's he's really good. I don't know that he's a guy that you necessarily want on the field playing a lot of minutes at corner this year, but I think he's for sure be a a, a special teams guy. I think he can uh, long-term, I could see him playing corner or safety. I think he's got a lot of versatility to both. And I think he is a guy that um, it would not shock me at all because of frame and athletic ability if he's a, a, a early round pick, like a, a top three round pick. I'm with you all the way. As you can see on our uh, private spreadsheet, uh, both of us are pretty – pretty high on him compared to the rest of the industry. So co-sign that all the way. And let's just move on to the next one. Zach Swanson, who I'm sure is going to be one of the more closely monitored and kind of interesting studies in this class, because Mike, I mean, to kind of just put it bluntly, I, I think that a lot of fans have some questions about Zach Swanson's ability and, after going through the tape and watching, I do actually think there's a path for him to where if he stays patient with the program, potentially being a contributor by the time that he's, you know, a junior or a redshirt junior senior. I think it's important in any class that you kind of establish a baseline for positions. And I think Swanson was their baseline for defensive linemen. Um, you know, like if we get this guy and he gives us what we think he can, you know, we're happy with that. And everything else we recruit is going to be that and above. Um, and I think for Swanson, you look at him big body, um, pretty disruptive. I thought pretty quick first step from the interior. Uh, I don't know. Again, I don't know. That he's a guy that you see contributing right off the bat. But, um, you know, like a couple of these other guys, I don't think he has as far to go physically for one. You know, I mean, he's already in pretty good shape, pretty big frame. Um, I think in the next year, maybe ne this time next year, we're looking at, okay, can Zach Swanson give some rotational snaps and then kind of build on it from there? Um, can he be a part-time starter? Can he be a full-time starter? I think by the end of his career, and I see him probably as, um, you know, he could play kind of that strong side in, but I kind of see him as like a three technique almost. Yeah, I have him tagged as the three tech. So... I think by the end of his career, and look, I mean, let's be honest. The, the Your job as a coach is to recruit a guy like Zach Swanson, and then Bo Davis's job is to recruit over him, to recruit so much overwhelming talent 
that even a guy who I think is a pretty good player, and I and I'm probably a little higher on him than everybody. Um, it, it, your your job is to kind of out recruit him, and so if he gets out recruited, you know, well, I guess we'll see kind of where, where things end up. But if by the end of his career, you know, he's a solid rotational part time starter, you know, with a chance to go to camp with the team in the NFL, I think uh, I think that's a win for kind of establishing the baseline of that class, and I think. To a larger point, people think, well, if a guy's not a first-round pick, he's not a success. If a guy like Zach Swanson gives you quality snaps and then gets a camp invite or is undrafted or is even a late-round pick, that's a win, from in, in my opinion. Absolutely. Mike, let's <laughs> move on to one of your favorite kids in the class and somebody that I think is probably one of the sleeper candidates for the 22 class, and that's Austin Westlake's Connor Robertson. Obviously, yeah. when you talk about uh, roster fit for him, I think it's pretty clear that everybody sees him as a center. Center guard, um, probably center. I know Cole Hudson kind of wants to play center too. Like that's something he's interested in. So, um, you know, we'll, Cole, I, we'll, we'll talk about Cole in a minute, but like Cole's a really smart kid. He told me like, uh, you know, hey, centers make a little more money if they're good. So, um, you know, I, I think he's kind of been focused on that. But for Connor – Again, and it's, I guess, maybe unfair to say baseline since we've already talked about Malik Agbo as another offensive lineman. But Connor is kind of the baseline physically, whereas Agbo's more of a like high ceiling project. And they I think first, correct? I'm sorry. Like, Connor ended up, Connor was the first take of the class. So when you talk about baseline, yeah. like that was the true baseline for the class. Agbo was one of the later guys taken. So that was just a pure, you know. Yeah. Connor and Cole committed on the same day around two hours in between each other. Um, so, I mean, those were the first two guys in the class, but yeah, I think Connor was kind of the physical baseline. And I always kind of put it as like, if you're going to uh, like Connor's probably a little physically limited, not as athletic as some of the other guys on the list, but tough, hard nosed experience probably played more games than any offensive lineman on this list by virtue of the deep runs that Westlake made in the playoffs, 16 games each season. Um, and man, if you're going to take guys like uh, to establish a baseline, taking them from a program like Westlake, that's had such excellence on the offensive line, I think is, is absolutely the way to go. I think he's, I think he's, um, you know, a guy that you can pencil in if, you know, he gets to kind of where they think he can be. You could pencil him in every week. It's like, okay, we're going to get a solid contribution from Connor here. I think he's a guy that could be a, you know, late round pick. Um, I, I see him probably, you know, I think Texas would love for his timeline to be like two or three years. You don't necessarily want to rush offensive linemen. They may not have the option. You know, it may be a Zach Shackelford type of thing where it's like we've just got to play now. And I think – Shackelford's not kind of that far off from what you could envision uh, Robertson as uh, at the college level. And, and you know, Zach had a cup of coffee in the NFL, but, you know, played a, a long career, a productive career at Texas. So um, I think for me, that's kind of the way I see Connor filling out guard center and a guy that, you know, you hope by like sophomore, junior year, he's starting to round into an all-conference player. Mike, one last thing on Connor um, that I think we should say, too, just for a kind of peek behind the curtain for fans. We were kind of talking about 
potential freshmen or even some older players that, hey, once fall camp goes around, like, you know, uh, shit gets real. Like you're out there for days in the heat, tensions flare. Like sometimes guys get punked. We both immediately were like, yeah, Connor, Connor Robertson's not going to get punked out there. Even though, like, no. even though some perception might be, oh, he's from Westlake, you know, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> that's one tough, that's one tough uh, interior offensive lineman. And I think that his baseline toughness, technique, every, like, I, I really think that he's going to have some success at Texas. Because another thing that I think we should mention, too, when we're just talking about evaluations, I don't think that Connor Robertson's going to go anywhere. I don't think that he, and, you know, this could be clipped later if he ends up in the portal, but... He definitely strikes me as somebody who's going to be patient, that's going to trust Flood in their developmental uh, timeline. And I don't know. I just see him as somebody that's going to stick it out at Texas and I think turn into a really nice uh, prospect. Yeah, and I, th I think if you question the toughness uh, of anybody in that Westlake program, you're probably insane. Yeah. Um, just go watch them practice, watch them play. That's, you know, it may be a upper income suburb school, but it's, uh, I actually, I wouldn't call Westlake a suburb school, but an yeah. upper income group, but man, that's a, that's a tough group of kids and coaches there. So yeah, I would, I, I don't think he's going to blink really. He's been through kind of the version of, being at Texas at the high school levels, being at a school like Westlake with the big expectations and going up against some of the best. And so, yeah, I think he's going to definitely benefit from that. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it is just a perception thing that I see sometimes of, oh, these Westlake boys, they get to Texas. And out of this, you know, the Tony Salazar, uh, Todd Dodge Westlake is not maybe what you were thinking from, you know early uh, 2000s, 2010s. So let's move on to our next one. And that is one of the more polarizing takes of the class. Somebody that a lot of fans have rallied behind, some have been a little skeptical of, it's uh, Malik Murphy. Yeah, um, a kid that I love, uh, one of my favorites I've covered. And when you talk about the physical tools, if you're just talking physical tools, as good as any I've seen, I mean, can literally throw a football through a brick wall if he wanted to. Um, I A lot, if you're talking about any quarterback, the odds are they're probably going to not live out their career at the school they signed with. It's just kind of the nature of the position these days. Um, you either win the job or you don't. And if you don't, you transfer on. I think Malik, especially coming in early and dealing with the injury and not getting a ton of reps in the spring, I would love to see him be patient and really embrace developing the finer parts of his game under Steve Sarkeesian and A.J. Milby. I think if he can, he's a guy that maybe, you know, a lot's going to depend. Uh, how does Quinn Ewers play? Does Texas get Arch Manning? How would Arch Manning do if he gets there? But I think you could see Malik be a guy who, if he really embraces the process and the patience, be a junior or senior starter, like a two-year guy, um, and then maybe even – be able to grad transfer somewhere else if he, if you know, to get a little more NFL stock. Um, that's kind of the goal for me with him. I think I've always said that if you've got the tools, I think the thing that holds kids back is being lazy or uncoachable. Malik Murphy is neither of those. Um, and so I think if he embraces the patience of it, if he really goes to work on, you know, the, the the biggest issue for him, it's not a mechanics issue. It's not as much of his feet. Now, he's got a little work to do with those things, but it's not like 
most people you think of. It's just, it's the reps. It's, he just didn't get a lot of live bullets in his high school career. Um, and if he could really embrace those things, I think he he's a guy with absolute NFL arm talent. Um, yeah. That There's no doubt about that. Um, and whether it be at Texas as a late starter or somewhere else in the country, I think he is a guy that depending on the, the opportunity he gets and again, finding the right fit for himself, he could be an NFL guy. Absolutely. Mike, I had a couple of things written down for Malik one. And I think you kind of touched on it. Control what you can control. Don't, don't get impatient and immediately look to bounce because I think that you've seen some Texas quarterbacks and just other quarterbacks throughout the nation. You have a, a lot more of a chance of success if you take two or three years grad transfer somewhere or even with the one-time waiver get to show up already having done you know spring camp everything a couple times don't immediately rush out if it looks like you know they're going to get arch manny or whatever control what you can control put the head down work the another thing too is a prospect he improved so much from his junior to his senior year in my opinion he, Bumped him multiple points on my personal grading system. And I think that when you look at what NFL teams are valuing at the quarterback position now, looking into the future as well with just kind of how guys are getting mocked in the upcoming draft and also the draft data that we have, guys with tools, guys with big frames are starting to maybe hit a little bit more than the mini renaissance that we had with the shorter quarterbacks that – were more ball placement heavy. Like there's something to be said about it being a copycat league and the guys at the quarterback position that teams want to copy are Justin Herbert and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes guys with freakishly, you know, tool sets that can put the ball anywhere. And that's what Malik Murphy can do. Um, I think the last thing when you talk about the quarterback dominoes here is just thinking how a potential Arch Manning, if he did end up at Texas, and Malik Murphy battle would go. And I don't know. It's really intriguing, Mike. I think that that would be a pretty interesting one, considering that Malik would have a full year. Um, and, you know, even if he did portal out, that would then give him the opportunity to just one and done it and head to the league, which I do think that if he maximizes, that's where he's going to go. Yeah. Um, and, and not a better kid to root for. I'll say that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, next up, and I think this is kind of an easy one, and this is somebody that I had a pretty good relationship. One of my first, actually, um, as a recruiting reporter is uh, South Haven, Mississippi's Aaron Bryant. I believe I did this research a while back, so somebody could prove me wrong, but I believe he is the first high school signee from the state of Mississippi to ever play at Texas. So pretty neat there. I think a really high ceiling, uh, sorry, a really high floor prospect when you look at a nose tackle. Um, and that's the fit that I think that he's going to play. And I think that he'll eventually be a um, probably two or three year contributor. Uh, <laughs> what's up, Winnie? Um, yeah, I think somebody's at the door. <laughs> um, I think that he'll be a two to three year contributor at Texas and maybe just knock one or two years as far as a starter. What I pitched you on yesterday, and I think that it's a pretty good comp, I think that he's um, an upgraded version of 
Chris Nelson. Yeah, I think that's a really good comp. And you've got a lot more familiarity with him. I haven't ever met him or seen him live. I've kind of asked you a little bit about his body composition, the way he was put together. He's big, you know, really big when you look at him on film. But is it good weight? Is it bad weight? And you had kind of said, you know, he's he's more chiseled and, and cut than he is fat. Um, I think it, if it was a big 12 Texas going forward, I would worry a little bit about his ability on the field. I think they're going, you know, he, he will probably be playing in the right league um, as just a big body that can jam the middle. And um, I, I think has some, you know, not just a guy that's going to lean on the center and wait for somebody. He's got some, some penetrating ability from the middle. Um, and the other thing with guys like Aaron Bryant's like if Aaron Bryant grew up in the state of Texas and had the coaching available to him and the training and all those resources, we might be talking about, you know, a closer to five-star guy just with his body and, and everything. He's still got a lot to unlock. I think um, like offensive linemen, you don't necessarily want to rush defensive linemen unless they are just, you know, freaks that you can't keep off the field. But um I think he's a guy that probably maybe, you know, with with uh, Keandre Coburn in his final year, you're looking at maybe this time next year is where, where okay, where did Aaron Bryant spring end up? Can we see him being a guy that gives us valuable snaps on defense? Maybe if, it, if it's even 10, 15 snaps in, in a freshman year. Um, and then moving forward, you know, like you said, Chris Nelson, I think is a great cop if he can be that type of player for Texas. Uh, that would be, uh, I think, like Zach Swanson, he's kind of a little more on that baseline, but a little higher ceiling than, than what Swanson has. And when we talked to sources in the spring, kind of the keys were what we knew as a high schooler, which is Aaron Bryant is going to give you a 100%, if not more, effort on every single play. And he's really coachable and a great kid. So that's about all that you can ask for when you start getting into the middle tier of your, um, you know, prospects in the class. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Aaron Bryant ended up being like a day three pick and had a nice, um, you know, career in the NFL. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Next up, another polarizing prospect, somebody that I think that I'm probably higher than you on, but we all can agree he fits what Kyle Flood wants extremely well and that is big old cam williams from duncanville mike how do you want to go go about this conversation i mean it's it's one of the more interesting ones and one of the ones that i've been looking forward to on this list just because even from fans uh, there is a ton of uh disagreement on okay i think that he's the number two player in the class and some people thinking you know he's all the way down at the bottom i mean the delta is pretty wild with uh, cam williams yeah, I think it speaks to kind of what his potential is. I mean, he is boomer bust to the max. His, you know, when you talk about frame and just height and length and all those sorts of things, Cam Williams is elite in all those areas. The weight is what bothers me. He played uh, most of his career at 400 pounds or north of it, uh, got down to around 380 in his, his senior year, which – you know, good for him. I'm glad he was able to get it down, but he's going to have to continue to work on that. I just don't believe you can play at a high level over and over again at, the, at that weight. And so, um, you know, for Cam, I was a little more encouraged by his senior year. I was not a huge fan coming out of his junior year at all. Um, and I watched, I mean, 
there's probably not a media member in the market that's seen more Duncanville football than me. So I, I've seen him throughout his career, and I've seen him come up with all these guys on the offensive line around him, the Savian Birds and uh, you know Jalen Early and guys like that. So um, I think a lot's going to depend on the physical development. He may be called upon this year just because. Yeah, that's that's the really intriguing part about this conversation because. Cam Williams, of anybody we've talked about so far, by I think by far has the easiest uh, pathway to playing time. And, um, Mike, I mean, just real quick, too, as we talk about this, I absolutely agree. His junior tape, I was just kind of – I think everybody, for the most part, kind of wasn't seeing it, and it was him viewed. And then his senior year, he did retool his body, and obviously it's not uh, close to the finish line, but – it showed enough, and I think he showed enough just in his own personal play to get really excited about his potential. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Mike, I, I think this is the next place to go with this conversation. Do you think there's a chance that he could play right tackle this year or kind of more to what I'm thinking, if he does slot in, he probably just slots in as a jumbo guard? Yeah, I think if you put the odds on that, I would have to put him as the favorite that he plays this year because they just have the need. And, and he he's not... a perfect fit for what Kyle Flood. Like, we can't stress that enough. I yeah, think. yeah, fit matters a lot in recruiting. We don't talk about it. We don't rank based off of it, but it should matter. I mean, it. it... But when it comes to expectations, then, you know. Yeah, it's it's definitely a conversation to have. I think – I would bet a lot of money Cam Williams is called upon and probably I would say I would say decent odds he starts a game this year um, at, at one of those positions. I just think, you know, when they're plugging holes up front and having the issues they're having, they're going to lean on a guy like him who's just big and say, hey, let's put the big guy out there and see what he can do. So, um, you know, that's going to be on him to really get in there this summer knowing he's got opportunities ahead of him and embrace everything and do everything he can in these three months and then get to camp and really just turn it on. I think at his best, he's dominant in the run game. He's, you know, his footwork and all those sorts of things need some work in, in pass blocking. But you're talking about a guy that if he could get to where he needs to be, I mean, I'll give, it's not a fair comp, at, you know, one-to-one, Evan Neal was that size in high school. Um, So, I mean, it's not, it's not out of the question that a guy like him could get in there, do some work on the body um, and then be a first round pick. I mean, he's got everything that NFL teams look for in an offensive lineman. It's just, you know, can he get there? I think that's the question. And I'm, I'm a little more skeptical, but I think I've got a familiarity bias a little bit and that goes both, it cuts both ways, but some of these kids that I see a ton of, it's just like, you know, I've got more visions of him in my head at 400 pounds than I do of what he was as a senior. And so um, I think that that kind of plays into my skepticism a little bit. One of the more intriguing guys to watch in the uh, freshman class, Mike, and I think you probably lean the same way as me. One of the guys I'm, most looking forward to hearing from sources of okay what are they looking like in fall camp yeah um next up i'm, on the, I'm prepared to be very wrong about it so you know i don't know i think that your take was pretty pretty fair when it comes to cam williams i don't think um 
I don't think people are going to take too much of a problem with that. Or, you know, kind of who cares if they do. Um, Austin Jordan from Denton Ryan next up on the list. Somebody that kind of another one I was a little bit skeptical about is a junior of, okay, how would he potentially even fit as a corner? I don't, you know, I think that maybe he's more of a safety. I thought he had a pretty damn good senior year. I think that he could play at corner. Kind of still think that his best position could be nickel or safety, but Overall, uh, much improved uh, senior year, in my opinion, and comes from one of those programs where, you know, it's going to kind of be tough to bet on a Ryan Raider. Yeah, I think for me, Austin was a kid that I'd heard a lot about early on from the Ryan coaches. Um, You know, big frame, great athlete, was running sub 11 early in his career and is a guy that when you watch how it translates to the field is probably better straight line than he is uh, laterally. And I think that that's hurt him a little bit at corner. Um, I think if he was a corner, he's probably like a boundary guy only. Sure. Um, I just like him at safety because I like him coming downhill. Um, he is a willing and, and physical tackler. Now when he does play like man press, he is really physical, um, really aggressive out there. And uh, uses his length really well. I think that uh, ball skills are a question for me, um, for him, you know, just kind of watching him throughout his career. But he's a guy that I could honestly see. I mean, I think he's a special teams contributor early. I think he's I think he's a guy that he's a good enough athlete that if they get in a pinch at safety this year, he is a guy that we could definitely see uh, get in and get some rotational snaps. Long term, you know, it's just going to kind of be how he develops at whatever position he is slotted into. I think as a safety, he is a guy that could be a top three pick. I think corner his, his you know, ceiling's a little lower. Mike, let's go ahead and move on to North Shore's Chris Ross. We're kind of in a – we had a nice little run on Duncanville, Denton Ryan, North Shore, some of the best programs in the state of Texas, which I think, again, just – shows and Steve Sarkeesian's first real class. I mean, he kind of attacked the blue bloods of Texas. Uh, you told me that Chris Ross had one of the more dominant practices you've uh, ever seen in your reporting career. Yeah. I went to a practice last spring and he was uh, unstoppable during it. Like had like three or four sacks in their team portion and, and just couldn't be blocked. And um, a really interesting build. I think he's a lower ceiling because he just doesn't have the overwhelming size. But I think he actually, you know, 6'2", 6'3", carries the 280 that he was listed at pretty well. Showed some explosive numbers throwing shot put. I think he's a guy that, uh, you know, kind of fits as a three technique. And again, you look at him and say, can he give you kind of, I don't want to say Chris Nelson because we kind of already use that, but that similar kind of career path as far as, you know, becoming a later starter um, and being a guy that has a chance to make the league. I think uh, this is obviously a guy that Bo Davis prioritized from the moment he got to Texas. So he certainly sees something in him. Um, I love the player. I, I think he's just a little more limited physically. Yeah, I think that's a fair place to put it. Can't say enough good things about him as a pure football player, and his shot and disc numbers show that he is extremely athletic. The frame is going to be an interesting question moving forward, um, and I think that he's, a at the bare minimum, a really high floor to set for your defensive line. Um, I yeah. mean, just 
really, really intrigued to also to see if he's able to immediately physically handle uh, fall camp. Because if he is, I think that says a little bit more about his ceiling too. If he's able to come in right away and match the physicality of, you know, college guys that are probably 20 to 40. And in Cam Williams case, like 80 pounds bigger than him. Um, uh, next up, I think one of the more intriguing and early enrollees, you got Jalen Gilbo from Port Arthur Memorial. Shout out to the Golden Triangle. Mike, I, I think that the best way to start this is that we kind of know already that Gilbo was pushing for a starting spot in the spring, but unfortunately, you know, with some off the field stuff, kind of progress stagnated a little bit. But when you look at the fact that, you know, 247 had him as the eighth best prospect in the 22 class for Texas, specifically the uh, Texas Longhorns uh, commits. I don't know. I think that that one could be on the money, just talking pure football, because, you know, he was kind of coming after Deshaun Jameson in uh, spring camp. Yeah, I I thought Gilbo had a really good chance of forcing his way onto the field this year. I think the off the field stuff has derailed that a little bit, and he's going to have to figure that part out. As far as a player, I've known the kid since he was a freshman. Just a really good, solid, fundamental corner. Understands like how to play the position. Understands leverage. Understands, um, you know, what receivers are looking for. Reads routes really well. Um, is a guy that I hope he gets it figured out because I think he he is a guy that can log significant minutes. If he can, I I think that pre those issues, he was a guy that we would probably have heavily in the mix this year. I think yeah. that he's probably going to have to take a step back. I think if he can get everything solved, you're talking about a guy who's battling for a starting corner position next year. Absolutely. And Mike, a lot of times when we're talking about potential special teams contributors, it is just that potential, right? Like, well, we could see Travell Johnson there. Well, we could see exactly. Yeah. Jalen Gilbo will be on kick coverage and punt coverage this year. Like I, I right. have no about that at, at all. I think that when you talk about him as a prospect, the, Straight line speed, and especially when you're thinking about corners, that recovery speed, um, you know, getting in phase and then catching up to receive, that does uh, bother me a little bit. And I think it's why I was a little lower. But at the next level, he could easily move to nickel or safety. And I think he definitely has the physicality. And that was one thing when I got eyes on him in person. He's built, he was built as a high schooler, like a college. Um, safety so him just getting an extra little bit of head start on strength and conditioning i can't even imagine what he's looking like right now i worried a little bit about the speed too i think seeing him at the all-american bowl he went up against some really fast receivers during those drills and just kind of negated what they did and, and beat them at the little things so that the speed didn't beat him long so again i i just love kind of the way he approaches the game mentally but uh got to get those off the field issues cleared up also, Mike, one last thing on Gilbo, a little bit of an inverse of a lot of the uh, cliches that you get, or I'd, I'd go even farther, say stereotypes about kids from the Golden Triangle. A lot of times you uh, people will just immediately and, you know, there was some of that lazy coverage in the market as well with Gilbo of like, well, he's just a stud athlete that, uh, you know, he's real fast, but he doesn't have any sort of technique and he's got to get coached up. And I think that you put it pretty well. He He's very technically sound, and he is a very smart football player. You saw that at All-American Bowl practices where, 
no matter what type of release uh, or anything that wide receivers were doing, he had a uh, answer in his toolbox for it. And I think that he is a little bit of an inverse of a stereotypical um, Southeast Texas defensive back. Yeah, I think, I mean, he's a really smart kid and really cerebral football player, uh, the way he approaches the game. So if you're covering in our market, you get to know the kid and get to know his play style and don't just uh, say things based on where he comes from. All right. If you're listening on the podcast right now, we're going to take a very small break and you're going to hear from some of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Next up, we've got Jare Bledsoe from Marlin, Texas. Played his last year of football. As I, think a... we, I think we skipped one. Oh, okay. They're tied on mine at 11.3. Oh, okay, okay. We're going by that. Gotcha. Sorry. Um. Uh. Let's see. Do, do, do. Okay. So we'll go Bledsoe. Yeah. Okay. Bledsoe played his last year at um as a junior at Bremond High School. Mike, it's hard not to start there of if we got to see a full senior season from Dre, if he was, you know, in football shape and didn't show up at the Under Armour All-American game a little bit, you know, I think understandably uh, not ready to compete against a bunch of All-Americans. You know, what would we think about him? I'm, I think, probably a little bit higher than you just because of the body composition and also what we saw from the two-way ability as a running back as well. Uh, first off, let's just start with the fact that he didn't get a senior year and the fact that he's kind of built like an SEC future NFL uh, defensive lineman. He's a little bit Cam Williamsy to me, um, whereas I think the ceiling is there, um, but there's a lot of unknowns, a lot of question marks. And like you mentioned, didn't get to play his senior year because of transferring to, to Marlin, um, which was good for him because, to be frank, he was an academic nightmare at Bremont and, and, and got to Marlin and the, those guys really took him in and said, you know what, even if you're not playing football, we're going to help you go to college. We're going to help you get your classes in order and get there. So uh, it was a good move for him, even though he didn't play. The only thing I have in my head is I saw him show up at the Under Armour game woefully out of shape um, and, and really just struggle overall. So those questions in my head. Now, that said, we've heard he's kind of assimilated pretty well in, in Texas and and will enroll, which is a great, you know, tribute to what they were able to do for him academically. Um, I think the ceiling is there for him to be a very special player, but the combination of him playing at a low level, not playing his senior year, and the only time I see saw him, him being badly out of shape, it just I could not go much higher on him than than I did. Yeah, 
Also, Mike, this is just me talking too. So if you disagree, feel free to chime in. If you told me that Dre Bledsoe was the third highest player drafted from this class, I wouldn't blink. That's how high I think his upside is. Also, I think you brought up some really good points. And I just want to say, um, Jure has done the right thing once he's got on campus too, to where how you pay back people believing in you, even if you did have academic issues or, you know, whatever. I think, I think exactly what he did right was he paid that back with hard work and listening and being coachable. And I think kind of negated a lot of the red flags that people had about him in that spring. Now, of course, it's got to be consistent, got to stay patient throughout the process, but I'm really high on him even potentially getting some rotational snaps this year. Career expectations wise, I think that the bar for him should be getting drafted in the NFL. I, I think yeah. that would be the baseline. He's I think he should be like a top four pick, like top four rounds. Yeah, no, I I absolutely think that him being a day two pick, I think would be, you know, a check for Texas development wise. Like mm -hmm. it, even if he is a day three type of guy. That's a passing grade for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think I could see, you know, depending on if he can keep everything going. And, you know, by the way, credit to Texas for a lot of schools pulled out on Jure and Texas kind of believed and said, hey, we're going to ride with you on this. And, and they may get rewarded for that by, you know, being able to get a guy that, look, I mean, at his peak of his recruitment, Alabama was in on and Texas A&M, a lot of schools wanted Jure Bledsoe. Um, so, I, again, a lot of question marks for me, but yeah, I think that the expectation, and I think, you know, I, I'm really interested to see what Jure Bledsoe looks like next spring. I mean, I, oh, yeah. rotational snaps this year, whatever, but like, let me see what he looks like next spring and if he's kind of turning into what we thought he might be. Big time. Somebody next up that we both have as a top 10 uh, guy, and I think are consensus higher on than the rest of the industry. And boy, he did he let make us look smart this spring. I'd kind of say the MVP of uh, sp of spring for the freshman. It's Frisco's Cole Hudson. So I mentioned this earlier. We skipped a name, and I thought because you had eleven point three grades on both of them. Oh, I, I definitely did just forget about him. Um, and I know that's your guy, so I don't want to miss this segment. I don't want to stop sure. us on Cole Hudson, but uh, should we talk about Ethan Burke? Yeah, let's go Ethan Burke quick, who I have as a top five player in the class. And, you know, some people look at me kind of crazy because Ethan isn't physically built, but the potential that he has, and I think that most Texas fans figured it out. Um, Mike, you didn't know this because it was kind of a crusade of mine at my last spot, but I would get to the point during the season where I would post and write about Ethan Burke maybe once or twice a week. And when it eventually came to the time where uh, put in a pick for him to end up at Texas, one of the first comments was, oh, great, we're taking bread at the end of the cycle. And I just kind of lost it on the person and was like, look, if you can't watch the tape and figure out that this guy isn't bread, maybe find a different hobby. And that's kind of how I feel about Ethan Burke. And luckily, I do think that people started to figure out kind of helped by Westlake's insane back-to-back-to-back uh, -back -to -back state title run that there is something potentially really special here at a major position of need, not only when it comes to the position room, but also importance in Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. Ethan yeah. Burke, I think, is going to be the 
kind of prototypical what he wants at the buck position, that kind of uh, more true pin back your ears edge, whereas the jack kind of has to play the run and be a little bit more heavy set. If you're if you're talking about guys you take at the end of a cycle and like, oh, well, we need to fill a class, so we're going to take this guy and this guy. We just need to check a box for position. Let me tell you that you don't often find guys with the tool sets that Ethan Burke has at, at the end of that. I mean, it's just fortunate that he was a Westside. He was committed to Michigan, a playoff yeah. team, by the way. So it's not like they were just picking up trash from something else. It was – we, we flipped a kid from Michigan who we basically waited until 1130 on the night before signing day to go all in on. And uh, it got him. So I think if you look at what he did, the length is insane. Now he's, I don't expect him to contribute early because he's just got so much physical development. He needs, he's got to put on the weight and be able to hold up at the line of scrimmage. But when you look at what he did, especially in that state title game, him and Colton Vosick were were literally they I mean they basically uh, broke the state sack record by themselves. Now, obviously they didn't uh technically, but they were I believe they combined for like six or seven sacks. Like, yeah. like unbelievable production. I mean, it was insane, and you know that ability to, with the length to get up and bat down balls and and things like that—that's huge. And and I love the fact that he is a elite lacrosse player. I think that Bill Belichick figured it out in the mid two thousands that like lacrosse players have a lot of skills that translate to the football field. And when you're talking about that position and you know feet and ability to manipulate your body and do things that you have to do in lacrosse, I think that all of those things are if you're if you're just kind of poo-pooing this as like, oh, you know, he's a just a bread take. It's you're you're in the wrong, um, definitely. I, I I love his potential. I got to see how the physical development comes out to be a little higher on him, as high as you are. But I still had him as a top ten guy in the class. Absolutely, and Mike, I think with the lacrosse thing too, you see the short area quickness from Burke, the ability to move laterally so well that. You know, I, and again, this just could be crazy. I, with Texas's edge room looking the way it is in a normal, in a no, with a normal football team, if you have the edge position better stacked than Texas does, you know, I probably don't think that Ethan Burke gets on the field as a freshman. But because of their dire need for pass rushing ability, I actually could see him being a true. Hey, it's third down and 13. They know we're rushing the passer, you know, get after it, Ethan. And, and of course, that's going to definitely uh, come down to how quickly he can get acclimated. I mean, he's been a full-time football guy for not very long. I mean, he didn't even pick up. And I think another thing with Ethan Burke, too, why some fans were kind of upset about the take at first was because he, I mean, Mike, he didn't even pick up his first power five offer. I don't think until October of his senior year. Yeah. So, but Michigan's got a pretty good idea of what they're doing on the edge. You saw that with eight. Yeah, I, so, I would say, I would say so. And so in them, you know, going after him as they didn't want to lose him. It's not like they cut him loose at the end of the cycle. No, uh, they, you know, they were pissed about it. They, I mean, they hosted him for basically one of their biggest official visit uh, weekends and the, the pitch was, we can turn you into a first-round edge talent, you know, take a look around at the locker room. So, 
I mean, so uh, career expectations. I don't think we covered that, but I, I mean, it, physically, if he fills out, I think he's a guy that you could see as a ten sack guy, yeah. double digit sack guy in college, and probably a top two round draft pick. I mean, I think his ceiling absolutely is tremendous. I think the career expectations. So, if you want to set a baseline to grade Ethan Burke uh, against, I do think that it's by your junior year you should be a all big 12 type. I think that that's the type of ceiling he has. And, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. I'd be kind of disappointed if when all was said and done, if he was just a normal starter, but I think you also have to give him a long enough leash to develop. If he doesn't do much during his first two years, but we're still hearing promising things behind the scenes and they still think that he has that type of ceiling. I'm not really going to panic. I'm just going to let this one play out. Um, and yeah, Mike, I mean, again, this is another guy to where if he hits, I legit think that he could be a first round draft pick. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we'll move on to apologies for that. Now we'll move on for, to Frisco's Cole Hudson, who I do think of the early enrollees probably was the MVP of the spring. Yeah. I already had high expectations for Cole going into, I, I thought from the jump, people discounting Cole playing this year were wrong. And now after his spring performance, uh, he's even jumped more in my mind. Um, I went back and watched a little bit of the spring game last night and just thought, you know, there was nothing like where he was overwhelmingly, oh, that's so good. But he also wasn't. Like, but he was oh, hanging but he was hanging and looking pretty dang good. Yeah. Look, as a as a kid who should have been in his, his senior year preparing for prom, he looked about the baseline of the Texas offense, which like not great, but. You know, I mean, he didn't look out of place with that offensive line. So um, I've got high expectations for Cole just because I know how smart he is. I know how physical he is. He loves run blocking, Um, has to get better at pass blocking, played in a run heavy offense, but is a guy for me that probably the expectations went up after this spring. I think went from a guy that, okay, he he should be a couple, like a multi-year starter and, you know, mid to late pick. I think he's a guy that could be a, um, Man, I I hate to say four-year starter. I think there's a chance he could be a four-year starter. I think he should definitely probably be, look at being a three-year starter um, and a chance to be a top three-round pick. Uh, maybe from a positional value, being on the interior, maybe if he moves to center, that helps him a little more. Yeah. You know, guard, guards are so funny the way they treat him in the draft that he could be a really good guard and still go in the fourth or fifth. But, um, yeah, my expectations for him have gone up, and I expect to see him a lot this year. Mike, I think that when we're talking about it, too, when we say that our exp- our personal expectations are going up for Cole, we do have to uh, – say that when we were doing our personal rankings back in the fall, just because, you know, uh, most recruiting analysts kind of do that so they can look back and kind of see what they nailed, what they missed. We both had him easily top 10. We still do. But when we're saying that our expectations went up, that's for a top 10 guy in the class. That That's how good of a spring he had. And he looked, he looked good in the spring game. And I think that he really had a good account of himself. But even what we were hearing from behind the scenes, what all the fans don't get to hear, was that um, Cole was just making a ton of progress and is somebody that legit is going to compete for one of the guard spots. I, I think that it is just really impressive the way that he got to campus and immediately took on the challenge. I mean, another thing, too. You kind of hear lip service sometimes about guys wanting to go in and compete for a job, but in the back of their mind, they know 
Uh, yeah, I probably should redshirt. I probably should take two or three years. Cole's not that type of dude. He knew that he was going to go in and really compete for a job. And huge credit to him because the work has paid off. And I'm really happy that this is on a trend line for a major hit for both of us. Yeah, hope so. Good kid. Great kid to root for as well. Absolutely. Next up, we've got uh, Spearman's Brennan Thompson, who just is off the backs of running, I believe, the sixth fastest high school 100 meter dash in the country at a 10 to uh, I think 10 to three, actually. Um, the speed is there. That has been clear since he broke out onto the scene. He fits what Steve Sarkeesian wants in a wide receiver with that elite speed. Now it's just kind of building the rest of the tool set, Mike. I expect Brendan Thompson to play this year on – I expect him to get – I would set the over-under at at least like five returns this year. Yeah. Um, I think you've just got to take some chances. And obviously you've got Deshaun Jameson, who's one of the better return guys in the country, but I think you got to take a chance or two with Brendan Thompson because the speed is so elite. I think you could see him in some packages where they're getting in the ball in space quickly and seeing what he can do. I mean – you know, a lot of development needed physically, a lot of like playing at a small level, going to have to get used to speed of the game. But when you talk about speed, that's really not a, a big question for Thompson, who, um, you know, proved he is a is elite in that department. Um, sorry, Winston. Uh, sorry, my dog keeps wanting to come on and join the show. Um, I think a guy that it's going to depend a lot on his fit. Cause he's not really like your traditional type slot played a lot of quarterback and, and stuff in high school. But um, I could see him being a guy, even though we've got him like higher in the class being a guy that's probably like a pretty good college player, maybe an all conference level college player who the speed will get him drafted late. Um, I, I just, I don't see him being a top end round guy. I mean, uh, a top three round guy. I think that I think that the the size and maybe the fit is going to relegate him to something different, and uh, the speed is probably going to get him to the next level. But um, a, a lot's going to depend on how he's utilized. Mike, we'll probably this is going to be breaking news to you, by the way. But we are going to you and I are going to do a show closer to football season, probably in the last month leading up to kickoff of a uh, little bit of a just out-and-out out steal of one of my favorite podcasts of all time, something they do called the Very Specific Things Draft. And it's of the Total Soccer Show for any uh, fellow listeners. I know we have a decent Horns 24-7 soccer community. Um, but the the uh, bit is essentially that they'll take 10 things each, extremely specific for the year, and just try to see if they nailed one. One of my very specific things is going to be that Brennan Thompson is going to get a touch pass thrown to him. He's going to go in motion right at the mesh point between uh, whoever's playing quarterback and Beige Robinson, and he's going to get that real quick, just pop touch pass. Oh, yeah. And if not, then I'll take the L on that. But like you're saying – he is going to get some run. He's just too fast. And there, you know, there are a lot of good wide receivers uh, on campus, but the depth isn't crazy with a lot of the guys that portaled out. Um, let's move on next to uh, somebody that we had a great time with at the All-American Bowl. I think somebody who had a really good accounting and showing for himself at those practices. And that's uh, Donaldsonville, Louisiana's Jamon Tapp. Uh, yeah, a guy that 
plays on the edge. I don't think he's like your – he is a long. He's not your traditional edge height, but he, he does have a lot of length. Absolutely. I thought he was just such a crafty pass rusher. He uses – he's not like he'll blow you away off the line or anything, but he just uses his feet so – like he's so quick on his feet laterally that he just uses it to like set guys up and was really like hammering – the top offensive lineman in the country. Uh, yeah, can't be, be said enough. Can't be said enough. I don't think like multiple five stars. Yeah, I mean, he took Keontae Goodwin and Hunter Herb and uh, Josh Connerly took reps from all of those guys. Played inside and outside. Kind of did whatever you know he they asked of him. And I think a kid with a ton of potential. I think a kid that with their need at the edge is going to get on the field this year. Um, and I think you know, could be a, you know, maybe log three or four sacks this year. And, and if he did that, I think that that's a great foundation to his career. Um, to me, his height is going to limit him a little bit overall when, when we're talking about league expectations, but his career expectations should absolutely be a double digit sack guy, a guy that is looked at as a, you know, day one or day two draft pick. Um, and, and I think a guy that really can excel in, in a couple of different roles, whether it be hand down or uh, like in a two-point stance off the line. Yeah, and looking back at my own rankings, I, I think that I probably should have been higher on Jamon. Still very high, still clearly in the top of the class, but I do think that he's kind of exactly what they want at the buck spot. And I think also could – potentially the height you're right that the height could limit him but with his arm length and everything else i think that he could even grow into a jack and just be a legit difference maker uh, at the college level bj allen is next up on the list mike you got to watch a lot of him at alito part of some really great teams two-way player in high school got to texas as an early enrollee and we have heard good things. Um, definitely strikes me as a very high floor football player uh, at the college level. Yeah, super high floor, great range, um, tackling ability, all those sorts of things. I think B.J. Allen plays a lot this year. I think they've got a lot of questions at safety. I think he'll be definitely in the rotation. Um, overall, I think he's a guy that should be a like three-year starter, should be a all-conference level player could maybe depending on things you know if he has kind of that Deshaun Elliott type season where he just you know gets his hands on a bunch of balls could be an all-american type player I think I mean I, th I do think he is he has that potential I think the ceiling is not quite as high and that'll probably limit him um when you look at what the you know what the next level of his career is but I think a really solid strong guy that could come in and just go right from the beginning and, and be a big time contributor and when we talk about roster fit too, Mike, I, I think that BJ is one of the easier. Like he is that true. He is that true single high safety. He is going to be, you know, he is going to be the coverage set. Like he's going to be if they're in cover three, he's going to be single high. If they're running too high or too shell looks, he's going to be the guy that um, is playing field. Um, so with with. With EJ, you do have a clear sense of fit, too, which adds a lot when you're talking about expectations and projectability for us. I think that that's a great point for this class overall, because when you look at receiver and DB, the takes they had in these classes, it's like, OK, well, where do these guys fit? Where does Saving Red fit or Brennan Thompson? 
is Xavier Bryce a corner or a safety? Is you know, there's like two. Yeah, there's a ton. Yeah, there's like three guys in the secondary that's like, okay, I kind of know what they are, and the rest are just, you know, we'll piece them together as we can. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and move on, unless you have anything else on. No, nope. uh, I'm good. BJ to uh, NATO Amozolo, and I have him as just uh, to be. I guess, transparent. I have him as the third best player in the class. I was a little bit worried about him at the start of his senior year because I, I thought that his junior tape was some of the best in the state of Texas. And he kind of wasn't performing to that level. And it got me a little bit gun shy, but it turns out that he had an injury. He recovered from it and he came back and towards the end of Allen's playoff run, he looked just about as dominant as he did his junior year. I think that, I'd feel a little bit better about having him three if I knew, you know, he's a really good kid, extremely smart, but there are some off the field stuff, nothing bad, but just kind of mentality wise that when you're ranking a guy that high, you kind of want to have a little bit of a better understanding of them as a person slash player. So I'm a little bit worried about that, Mike. I don't think the talent in the frame can be questioned. I mean, absolute stud. And I think another one of those offensive linemen that has a legit shot to go into fall camp and take somebody's job. Probably not a guy that you'd want in normal circumstances playing this year, but um, is probably going to have to just – and I think, to me, you, you asked kind of the same about Cam Williams – I see NATO kind of slotting in as a guard early or, but he, he does have that potential to play right tackle. Um, yeah. and, and he had to be clear too, real quick. He does have the arm length to legit be a right tackle. Sometimes people will just say that, but when Mike and I are saying that, like he could be a right tackle, even at the NFL level, he has that. Level yeah. Of arm. It is tremendous arm length. Um, really mean, really physical at the line of scrimmage it was a big, big pickup for Texas. I, I had him a little lower um, just because kind of, you know, again, there's probably too much familiarity bias there for me um, and a lot of, you know, the way I, I cover these kids that goes into it. But um, I, I still had him as a, you know, top 10 guy in the, in the class for sure and, and one of the top linemen. I think as a guy that – when we're getting into this territory now, these are guys that have to be for Texas. Multi-year starters. Yep for sure all conference level players they need to flirt with all american uh level ability and they need to be looked at as as early draft picks and i I think nato kind of checks all those boxes absolutely mike it is one of those interesting things because i kind of think that it sets up a little bit well for him to take a spot and with that being said i did hear from a source that he was up at a spring practice i can't remember which one but it was one of the scrimmages and i got a text and said look there's somebody that's very clearly injured on the team and that i'm trying to figure out who it is because there's this guy in street clothes that just looks like a mammoth and he went over and eyeballed him a little more he's like oh my god netto looks like he has added 15 to 20 pounds of really good weight so my expectations are pretty high if he doesn't win a job this year, though, I will say this, not that worried. Because no. when you're talking about freshman expectations, uh, I think for all of the offensive linemen, we'd like to probably see one of them take a job and run with it. 
but the developmental track for offensive linemen is so much longer than just about every other position. You you really don't want to be rotating guys similar timelines. Yeah, it'd be great if they could Another rotate all in, these guys and and just say we're not going to play any of them. That would be great if you had that situation, yeah. but it's just not exactly. the reality. Exactly. Uh, another um, early enrollee, I think the second to last early enrollee on this list, Klein Kane's Jaden Blue. Mike, I'll let you take this away because I think that you're the highest of me, kind of the industry on Jaden. Third to last. The next three guys were, were Jaden. Oh, the next three guys are all early enrollees. Um, yeah, I, I just don't want to lose fact of the, the vision that Jaden Blue ran for over 2,000 yards in 6A football in Texas as a junior, ran under, you know, ran like 10-700, and was pretty much the number one running back in the country before he sat out his senior year. Um, I don't want to lose sight of that vision. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of people's view of him is colored by that senior year, but this is still a player with special, special potential. Not a guy that you're just taking in any year to kind of fill a spot, but a guy that teams wanted to build a program around at running back and got there early. Uh, from what I've heard, he's done everything right. You know, he's in a crowded backfield, but I could see him, you know, again, they're, they're beating Louisiana Monroe pretty badly, getting some late carries and, and rattling off some big runs. We even joked about it. Like, would it have shocked us at the spring game? Had they pulled kind of the, the guys higher on the depth chart in the second half and Jaden blue ran wild. I didn't. Um, but, you know, I didn't feel like he got a great flow of, of carries in that game. So um, this is a guy that I'm looking at to be a potential, you know, going forward when, when Bijan Robinson leaves and, and, and this is kind of his backfield. I think he's a guy that could win a dope walker. I think he's a guy that, you know, could factor into that All-America conversation, um, you know, be, a, be a, a workhorse back, one of the best, you know, skill players in the country so i have uh jaden towards the back part of my top 10 i think that when you look at him if you blind resume jaden blue it, it is exactly what you're saying of it is that level of speedster the productions there there's the ability to make uh plays in the passing game um so just from that lens, he is an absolutely great prospect. I kind as far as expectations go, I don't actually think that he's going to get much burn this year just because the Texas running back room is insane. Yeah. I just I I kind of can't see him even getting past Jonathan Brooks this year unless they want a true change of pace. Um or they need a back with receiving ability. So I do think that that is one of Jaden's problems is that He's just, and it'll yeah. it'll drop after this year, but it'll it's it, for the first year. It'll just be a little bit tough for him. I think that he's going to have a good career at Texas, though, and like you said, the overall athleticism is that of a legit NFL running back. Height is interesting to me. It doesn't really matter that much, but just long term, career wise, it'll be interesting to see if that uh, eventually becomes a knock on him. I think I don't expect him to get a ton of burn either, but we have seen that room even last year when we thought, well, this room's pretty stacked, get banged up. And then all of a sudden, you know, you are into that depth. And so, um, you know, we'll see. Absolutely. Let's go on to the next one. And that's um, Justice Finkley, who 
Yumi and the other uh, components we used all have as a top five player in the class. Mike, we talk so much about measurables. We talk so much about verified athleticism that at times I'm sure it does get a little bit annoying for some fans who sometimes can get of the, well, what matters is how they play on the field. We all agree that Justice Finkley is an absolute monster on the field. And you, we heard, I'd say that probably the second most about him out of any freshman when it comes to uh, spring ball, just absolutely a stud and has already kind of brought a little bit of extra swagger to the Texas program. His limitations are what they are. He's not built like your classic six foot four, 220 pound defensive end with like great length and everything. He is a more compact player, but I don't think it matters. And I've talked a lot about players understanding who they are and playing like it. He understands that when I saw him at, at the Under Armour game, me and Chris Singletary were talking, Chris Singletary, one of our national rankings guys, and saying he understands that he doesn't have the length of a guy like Kelvin Banks. So what he does is he negates, the, he closes space so quickly that Kelvin Banks can't utilize his length. The other thing I love about him is culturally, for what you want in your program, he is a game changer from the, from the sense of fantastic student, you know, a, a son of two doctors, and a kid that is going to just work his bag off for everybody. I mean, seeing him at that Under Armour game, I've, I've said this so many times, but those games are such like just goof off sessions and him going 110%, you know, 90 miles an hour in practice, every rep, everything he did, it wasn't just noticed by me. It was noticed by everybody. I think he's on the field this year because they don't have edge players. Yeah. I, I'm not, he, I, he's not a six to eight sack guy this year. I think he's going to have to develop into that. I think he's a one to two sack guy, you know, hopefully. And, and a guy that gives you just a lot of quality reps can play the run. Well, all those sorts of things. Um, I, I do think the, the physical limitations are going to limit like his next level. But when you're talking about career expectations, I think by the time, Justice Finkley's is a junior or senior. He again, he should be an all conference, all American level type player um, who is making the NFL make some tough decisions on do we want to gamble on the fact that he isn't prototypical, but the production is so good that we can't look away. Per I think that's perfect, Mike. And when we're talking about the limiting at the next level, just to be clear, too. We're kind of graded with our evals on the NFL draft. So that's what we're talking about with the NFL draft. Mike and I mentioned this yesterday, but like Elvis Doomerville, and you never really want to use the outliers as your examples in data, but it's kind of hard not to with Justice Finkley when we feel this strongly about his ability. Elvis Doomerville was a fourth rounder and then led the league in sacks multiple time pro bowler. And it's hard not to think about somebody like Justice Finkley in that same category because he just wins consistently in the run game, in the pass game, even though he's not built like your prototypical edge. It's just one of those things. Yeah, okay, maybe he is a day three guy, but I still think that when he eventually does get to the league, I, I really feel strongly that he will. I still think he's going to have a extremely long career in the league which is more than you can say about a lot of other edges that are built like your true freaks and monsters that people want. Mike really nailed it on the freshman expectations, though. That is the one thing that I really want to warn Texas fans about. Don't go into this season just because the playtime is available at edge being like, oh, yeah, Justice Finkley needs 
five sacks to prove he had a good season. No, Justice Frankly just needs to grade well and give that all-out effort. And if he gets two or three sacks, that's absolutely a plus. Texas just needs as much pass rush ability as they can um, get. And overall, just playing well should be the baseline because he's going to get on the field. Let's not give him some arbitrary sack number to hit. Let's just, you know, let him pin the ears back and play good football like he has done in just about every setting we've seen him in. Yeah. Next I up, agree. I believe, unless I'm making another mistake looking at a list, there's been a couple of those on this podcast. Terrence Brooks, the last early enrollee. Mike, when we were talking about clear fits for the Texas defensive backs and wide receivers, I think that Terrence Brooks is a pretty clear fit, and I think that it says a lot that he immediately went into um, immediately went into the spring and just kind of started handling business. And that's what you'd expect from somebody who's Chet Brooks's son. But also, you know, sometimes guys get to college and they switch up. Terrence Brooks didn't switch up at all. No, uh, Terrence Brooks is, I mean, just phenomenally sound as a corner and, and a good athlete and all those sorts of things. And there's a reason Ohio State and Alabama and all those schools pursued him. There's a reason it was so huge that Texas was able to flip him on signing day. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, not that I expected that Gilbo was taking time away from him, but Gilbo's loss is kind of Terrence Brooks's gain um, from, from that perspective. I think he's already a guy that was going to force early playing time. And now there's just going to be more opportunity for him to do that. I think you'll regularly see him in the rotation this year. I think he's a guy that probably going into next year has a pretty good handle on, depending on how he plays on earning a starting job. And uh, I mean, we're talking, Again, should be a an all American level player, and I think has the stuff that you look for in a first round draft pick. Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I think that he could turn into a really good player. I just don't want too much on his plate immediately as a freshman. So for freshman expectations, just good solid rotational snaps, good special teams play. I think that's about it. Career expectations. Yeah, I mean- it's yeah. it's likely he's going to probably have to start a game here or there, just injury or, or one thing or another. But like uh, with college football nowadays, a DB will tackle somebody and they'll probably get a penalty uh, for for a targeting and miss a half. So he'll have to start or something. But I think, yeah, don't look, he doesn't need to be Derek Stingley this year and be like an elite Perfect. NFL corner. He just needs to be Terrence Brooks and play, you know, really solid, set the foundation for the next step. Perfect. Mike, we are in the home stretch. The people that I'm sure the two players that the uh, people on the podcast are really looking forward to us talking about. So let's start with my number one player in the class, um, your number two, and I think 247's number two player in the class, and that's Kelvin Banks out of uh, Humble Summer Creek. Just the expectations for his freshman year are ridiculously high not necessarily from us but i think the fan base at large and i guess i don't know even from us there is a little bit of that all right kelvin you're on campus let's see if you go win a job yeah i think people really need to be careful with that um because i love kelvin banks i think he is potentially your franchise left tackle you've been looking for in the future. I do not think that's this year. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll 
be wrong, but I, you know, I think Kelvin still needs to add some, some things to his game, including uh, some strength development um, and things like that. Like all the other guys we've talked about, I think he's going to be asked to play quicker than he's probably ready for. Um, I'm hoping it's not at left tackle against Alabama and Will Anderson. Uh, you know, I, I, I think that that would be kind of a disaster for anybody um, in, in, the, in the nation. I, but I do think, you know, he's a guy that we're going to see rotational staffs from this year, maybe spot starts here or there, and is a guy that going in next year, should we should really be seeing what he's doing. And if, you know, his expectations are through the roof, he's a five-star prospect. So um, his expectations are to be, to play at the highest levels, probably be a three or four-year starter and uh, be a, a very high draft pick. I think that the interesting thing with Kelvin Banks, even if he doesn't start against Alabama per se, I, I think there is a legit shot that he's still playing in major games like Oklahoma, the Red River shootout down the yeah. line. I think that is an absolute real possibility. And, you know, Mike, it's one of those things too where I, and I've just been kicking around all these thoughts about Banks, what his expectations should be. I do think that there is a level of getting thrown in the pool and sometimes you just swim and it's just, Hey, he's a five-star talent and he's, you know, getting coached up pretty well. And almost, I think this happens with true freshman offensive linemen actually a little bit more than people even expect. They're almost, <laughs> and, and, and I should be careful. They're almost too naive to even realize Oh, that's Will Anderson. Oh, that's uh, Dallas Turner. I think the other Alabama na edge, Edge's name is that are top 10 draft picks. It's okay. I'm just playing football. Where, yeah. where sometimes if you are a, you know, third year guy and you've seen all the bullets flying and then all of a sudden you're starting against Alabama, that can maybe eat up at you a little bit. I don't know. I, I think that the career expectations are regardless of um, what he does this freshman year, the career expectations are multi-year starter at a very high level, whether that be All-American or All-Conference, you know, who who kind well, of cares? Then, let's call it the the Sam Cosme line. Yeah, I and think then that's, in, that's the rubric. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, with Kelvin's tools, maybe even a little bit higher than Sam Cosme when it comes to getting drafted. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. It's hard for me to think about Kelvin Banks maximizing and not ending it ending up being in the green room um, at Radio City Music Hall or wherever they're holding the draft. Um, if Kelvin Banks maximizes, yes, he will be a multi-multi-millionaire and uh, uh, will end the uh, the criticisms about Texas not sending offensive linemen to the draft. So, yeah. Mike, something, think... that I've, something that I've kind of kicked around too, obviously long-term everybody or at least most people in the market know that Kelvin Banks is a tackle. Is there any chance that maybe he could slide into guard only as a freshman if needed be? I think so. But I mean, I think long term, you want him to be, you know, your right tackle. You. But I, I think, yeah, that's probably the one thing I'm interested to hear is kind of where do they see him in fall camp? Um, or is he a guy that they could say maybe he's just our swing guy and we blame it at a couple different positions? Yeah. I think just my own prediction i'd love to get your feedback too i kind of think what's going to happen it seems like they really liked hayden connor at left tackle towards the end of spring camp and i think that he's going to go in and i checked in with somebody the other day just to 
make sure I wouldn't be putting my foot in my mouth. I believe that's where they're going to kind of start things off when it comes to fall camp. That makes me think that Kelvin does have a legit shot at right tackle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he'd be competing with Christian Jones and uh, Andre Carrick and a host of other guys. But I do get that sense that that might be a little bit more uh, easy for him than immediately having to start at left tackle kind of day one at Texas. And again, we've talked about this and we'll get it with the next guy. I don't think that he'll be the first freshman offensive lineman to uh, start this year at Texas, but I do think that he has the highest ceiling of the entire class and that when we're wrapping up and hopefully doing a pre-draft show in three years or four years, we're talking about Kelvin Banks breaking the street. Yeah. The combined kind of our personal uh, composite, their consensus number one player, it's Devon Campbell from Arlington Bowie. Mike, you pretty much nailed this recruitment from start to finish. I think you had a crystal ball um, in on him pre-pandemic. Not actually, but that's kind of what it felt like. And, uh, right around the pandemic, yeah. Right around the time it started. So, um, But when we're thinking about Devon Campbell, I kind of teased it. We both agree that he probably will be the more easy guy to put in the field, just partially because of the position. It's a little bit easier to play interior offensive lineman as a true freshman. But also, I mean, when you're looking at him as a prospect, oh my goodness, he just has everything other than maybe the preferred uh, height and arm length, but I don't know, who cares? Yeah, the answer to all questions, if you ask me about this freshman class, is Devon Campbell. Um, I am all in. All my chips are in. I am like setting up to be like, if Devon Campbell busts, I it's going to be an all-time L for me because I have told everybody he's the best player in the class. He's the most ready to play in the class. He is a guy with, you know, we talk about Banks' ceiling and it's there, probably a higher ceiling than Campbell just because of positional value and all those sorts of things. But, I mean, if you just want to tell me, like, hey, who like you out of this class? It's Devon Campbell, hands down. Um, mean, nasty, college-ready size, incredible strength, great athleticism, fantastic hands. Uh, our guys at the Under Armour game called him a tone setter. He's a guy that comes out on the field and you know what time it is. I mean, he is – Texas has had a lot of guys that are really nice kids that um, have athletic projection, and, you know, we've seen how that – Devon Campbell's a fantastic kid. I have no problem with him. He is ready but to get into a – like, Yeah, he's ready to get into a street fight at any given time. Um, like, he's ready to – like I've known him for three years and I can count on one hand, like the amount of times I've seen him smile. Um, he's just always kind of in that mode. Um, and that's what Texas needs more than anything is a guy that is going to pound you into the dirt, enjoy doing it. And he's not really, you know, team guy. He's not going to really make it about him, but he is for me, the show this year. I think he is a guy that, I don't want to put these like crazy expectations on him because if he doesn't hit them, you know, it's like, well, he's a disappointment in year one, but I think he's a guy that has to play a lot this year in the interior. I think he's a guy that by the end of the year probably needs to be a starter. Yeah. And And I think, I think too, real quick, it's fair to say some of these expectations for kids that we've talked about are just kind of our own projections. What we think, I think Devon Campbell's play has earned him those expectations. 
he's so good. The expectations are more earned than put on him, I think, for him specifically. Yeah, and and he's a guy that look he he, he I would I would be shocked if Devon Campbell finishes his eligibility at Texas and is not an early entrant into the NFL draft. Yep. I have something for you real quick too, and this is going to kind of test you. So apologies for putting you on the spot. Is he the highest floor prospect at Texas in how many years? I, I think he's very clearly the highest floor guy this year, but I was just looking back at a couple classes not including a Quinn Ewers type who transferred in, but like truly high school signees. It's tough for me to think about guys in the previous classes that are as high floor as him, where I legit think that he could walk like, in. Bijan is the only one yeah, I can think of. Honestly, that, that was the only name that even came close for me. And then, you know, with that one, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great call, Mike. Another thing for Devon Campbell is it fair to have his is it fair to have the question of day one starter for him i think that's what a lot of people want to know i would i think it would be fair if he was here this spring i think that fall camp is a short runway to earn that playing time and there are guys that are in the mix there cole hudson being one of them who played in the spring and probably has a head start from that perspective but i think he's got to be in the rotation I mean, I, I wouldn't get caught up on starter or not. Like, is he giving you a lot of quality snaps? I think that's what you need. What would be the what would be the mark for you to where, okay, I'm a little bit surprised if Devon Campbell isn't starting or getting legit spot uh, reps by, would it be like game seven? I would have to say you kind of know what your offensive line is by like game five. Okay. If he's not getting those reps, it's either because the upperclassmen ahead of them have just taken the control and they've taken a big step, and and hopefully that's a great sign of things to come, or it's because he's not playing as well as we expected him to. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm hoping it's if, if that were the case, it would be the first because I, I just think that, yeah, I mean, look, there's I don't want to sell it too much. There's things Devon's going to have to sharpen at Texas. You know, there's there's technique things that he's talked with Kyle Flood about, but boy, from just a pure put a football player hat on hat out there, I have not seen many better than than Devon. Mike, and I guess one final thing on Devon, since we do want to give people a decent amount of you know meat to chew on when it comes to the end of this mega podcast, which I appreciate you uh, soldiering through with me. What is the what is the best case scenario for you for this year? And do you think there's a chance that he could be the, you know, best player on, on the offensive line when it's kind of all said and done? I know those are lofty expectations, but when you are talking about a guy that we both kind of think of as a clear cut, truly elite interior offensive line prospect, I mean, these are kind of the questions you've got to, got to float around. I think if he's the best guy on your offensive line, you've got some problem because I, I think that would be most true freshman. Um, I think he needs to be a guy that though, that you're like, I cannot wait until Devon Campbell gets a full spring in this program 
and to see what he looks like now. Like next year, I think really what you should want coming out of this year is next year insane expectations. While the expectations are pretty high, maybe you don't want him as the best offensive lineman in the group immediately. Or, you know, maybe he's playing at a Connor Williams true freshman level and you'd get a surefire freshman All-American and it's great. Regardless of those expectations, we know for a fact that Devon Campbell is an amazing high school prospect, and we think that that's going to translate to the next level at Texas pretty clearly. Um, last thing before we go, I'll make you put the sports gun to your head. Let's go one player overall in the class that you really think will meet expectations uh, for their career, and then one hipster selection. I'll let you lead it off. So, like I just said, the answer to every question is Devon Campbell. He will be my my first uh, answer there. My hipster pick. I'm gonna go with Xavier Bryce. I just I really love the the long term ability, the tool set, and all those sorts of things. So those are the two guys I'll go with. Both Arlington guys. Yep, and I think that I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Kelvin Banks as the safer answer of the two. And then I'm kind of split between two guys. Personally, it's not a hipster pick because I have him as the fourth best player in the class. But I think for how he's viewed as a whole, it would be Ethan Burke. I think that he's going to absolutely crush it. But if you want more, uh, even more hipstery of a pick, I kind of think that Savion Red's going to be, relative to his expectations, a really productive football player for Texas. If he stays in the program, stays on the right uh, trend line and everything like that. Okay, Mike, that does it. Thank you for staying with me on a one hour and probably 45 minute uh, game of isolation basketball. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, uh, every time Hudson has these ideas, well, we might just throw a bonus together and, uh, you know, Go, go to this type of style. So we'll see. But uh, we appreciate everybody for listening, for tuning in. We appreciate Taylor Estes for hanging with us during this long game of violation as well. And uh, technical difficulties and all those sorts of things. For Hudson Standish, I'm Mike Roach, and we'll see you guys next week. New CBS Monday. NCIS. Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Violent island they got here. Walk to paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.